Welcome everyone to Two SoCal Gals, the podcast where we talk anything and everything soccer with a SoCal slant. I'm Alicia, and are you looking forward to this international weekend? I'm Josie, and I'm taking bets on how many Cuban players never leave Toronto. Oh! <laughs> All right, so we begin uh, with some headlines. The U.S. men's national team is now down two attackers and two defenders, including uh, the LA Galaxy's Landon Donovan. Is the U.S. in danger of not qualifying? I really don't think they are. Um, Antigua and Barbuda have only scored two goals in the group so far. Um, they've only earned one point. Uh, and I just don't think they have the kind of team to get a few past Tim Howard. Um, so I don't think the U.S. is in danger in that match. And then you have to think about Guatemala going forward, because if Guatemala uh, beats Jamaica, or if Jamaica beats Guatemala, like with every team at seven points, there's a lot of different scenarios. So getting as many points as possible is really the only way to go through. Um, but Guatemala have their own injuries that they're dealing with. They're missing four central defenders, and they typically start three. So it's not their best squad either. Um, the U.S. didn't bring in every attacker that they could, but they brought in some interesting ones. And I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I don't know. I feel like the U.S. should be okay going through. I don't know. What are you What are you feeling right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think. Um, I mean, to some extent, it seems like most of the players who are out haven't been fully integrated in the squad during Klinsman's time anyway. I mean, you know, Donovan's had a lot of time away. Um, you know, Fabian Johnson has kind of gotten into the into the mix, you know, o- gradually over the last year and a half or so. Um, you know, Breck Shea was out in, in the wilderness for a while, and, of course, he made his comeback in the Mexico game. But, you know, even so, I think um, these are losses, but I don't think that they're necessarily catastrophic. I mean, I don't think there's a single player who um, – you know, is, is going to have to sit out or going to have to miss the qualifiers altogether at this time, who is completely indispensable. Um, I think that there's plenty of, um, you know, plenty more where that came from. And I think, again, like you said, I mean, considering the opponents and considering, um, you know, both at Antigua and Barbuda is, uh, you know, a minnow, basically, and, and that Guatemala is a bit uh, shorthanded at the moment, um, that bodes well for the U.S. Um, statistically, it's possible, but I, I just don't, I just don't get that feeling at this point. It, it seems like it's, you know, they're going to go through. Yeah. yeah. And Jonathan did miss a lot of time, and Shea's certainly uh, replaceable. It'll be interesting to see how Alan Gordon is used. I think a lot of people are uh, intrigued by that call-up. Um, yeah, and I mean, especially because it's, uh, you know, I mean, he played for both of the L.A. teams, right? Um, you know, and he, he has family in the area. I sat next to his aunt at a game the Chivas game recently, and uh, we were talking about his call-up uh, last time around, and um, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of, you know, it, it, to, to people who've seen him for the Galaxy or for Chivas, it's, it's completely shocking that he's the national team at this point, but yeah, there he is. 
Yeah, who would have thunk it? But uh, moving on, Mexico has already qualified for the hex, but the European stars were still brought into camp. Uh, do you think we'll see the A team in Houston? I think there's going to be a mix. I think it's it's going to be some of the you know the standbys, the guys that are um, you know first choice, and I think there's going to be some some new guys or uh, sort of more peripheral guys mixed in. Um, Giovanni Dos Santos, who's out injured, uh, goalkeeper Jesus Corona, he wasn't even called up, even though he seems to be the clear first choice. But that's because the coach, Chapo de la Torre, said that he knows what Corona can do, so he doesn't need to see him again, which is pretty interesting. Um, I think uh, Chicharito is almost definitely going to play both games. Uh, I think there's definitely going to be some tinkering around the midfield. Uh, one of the players who was called up for the first time was uh, Carlos Pena, who plays for Club León. Um, which was the promoted team this year. He's been really impressing. I think he's like 22, uh, just kind of bursting onto the scene, and uh, he might get some action. So it'll be interesting to see if he can make make an impact. But uh, I think there's going to be, you know, some sticking with with the regular routine and, and some switching it up a little bit, trying some adjustments and and seeing what uh you know what else is uh, in the player pool at this point. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing to think of also from a competitive aspect. Uh, you know, the, you don't have the full season that you have with your club team, but there's still that sort of you don't phone it in when you're playing someone who's still playing for something. It's kind of against the code. Uh, and they've got El Salvador coming up who are very much uh, in the mix. And, uh, you know, I think Costa Rica would throw, uh, we'll say, hissy fit uh, if Mexico were to field the B squad against El Salvador. Um, and so Mexico is going to need to be up in form um, for El Salvador. So I can, you know, I can see them fielding some, a pretty competitive squad, uh, even though uh, Guyana is not much of a, well, it's another minnow. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the, the big thing is Mexico is so good at this point. I mean, they're not invincible by any means. They can definitely be beat. But they're they're so good and their player pool is so deep that even if they play a B squad against a Central American country, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat them too. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the, the World Cup squad, uh, or I'm sorry, the Olympic squad that just won the gold medal, including, you know, in addition to the senior squad, I mean, they're all, a, they're a really strong, really strong team. So it, it should be interesting to see how they do. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's move across an ocean over to Europe. And uh, let's see, to you, which match on the UEFA slate looks the most interesting to you? Yeah, there's a couple of one versus two matchups over the next, two match days um so a lot of things to look forward to i'm personally probably looking most excitedly toward romania versus the netherlands just because the dutch kind of petered out of the euro tournament but they've been this really strong side for so long so i'm really interested to see uh is this the beginning of a dutch resurgence uh is this going to be them hitting another wall because they aren't that great anymore. Um, there's just there's a lot of interesting storylines going on, um, but you've also got some real competitive matches 
uh, elsewhere. So, uh, have have you taken a look at the slate? What are you What are you looking forward to? Yeah, when, there's a couple that are really interesting to me. Uh, first, I think Serbia versus Belgium is pretty interesting. It's another uh, one versus two matchup in the group. And uh, I mean, I think Belgium is a really exciting team, and I think they're the kind of team that a lot of people want to see at the uh, World Cup because they haven't been there in I think about 20 years, maybe not quite 20 years. Um, and they have a lot of young stars, so I think it would be, you know, exciting to see them in the World Cup and see what they could do. Um, I also think that Russia versus Portugal is a, a pretty interesting matchup, too, um, in part because both Russia and Portugal have had trouble with qualifying in the past. Um, I mean, you know, last time around, Russia didn't actually qualify for the World Cup, and uh, Portugal did, but they always seem, whether it's Euro or uh, World Cup qualifying, they always seem to, to go down to the very last playoff date, you know, possible in order to qualify for every tournament. And, uh, you know, if they keep doing that, that's eventually going to catch up to them. But they're in a pretty easy group. I think Russia's by far their toughest opponent. So um, so those are the two that I think are, are pretty interesting from my, my perspective. Sure. And we also got uh, France versus Spain on the slate. Um, Spain's always... Uh, fun, if not interesting team to watch. I feel like there's some that hate the Tiki Taka, and there are some that are like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, I think in, uh, I, you're right, it's a great, that's a great matchup, and I think France are going to be going all out on that one, because, you know, they're, they really want to show something, and, and obviously, they're going to be the underdogs in that game, so yeah, that, that should be a, like you said, an intriguing, if not necessarily interesting game. Well, moving on to uh, Africa. Africa's qualification has started off a bit of a snail's pace because of the simultaneous qualification tournament for the Africa Cup of Nations, which runs in January and February. Uh, many of the teams on the continent will get to play more competitive international matches than other confederations. But do you think this is going to help or hurt their chances of fielding successful teams in Brazil in 2014? I think to some extent it hurts their chances um, because the teams that are going to be in the African Cup of Nations are not necessarily going to be the teams that are going to be at the World Cup. So, I mean, if a team goes out of qualifying of the Cup of Nations, they don't make it to the tournament they're not going to have that additional practice and sort of a, a tournament atmosphere in order to, um, you know, get them ready for the World Cup, which is something that none of the other confederations are going to be doing at around that time. Um, but that said, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the big thing is always waiting for that breakthrough from an African country in a World Cup. And so, you know, we have to look and see what teams are kind of doing well at the moment, what teams are struggling the tough thing is that they've barely started qualification, so it's kind of hard to say at this point. But, um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it seems like um, Ghana and Zambia are in the same group, which is really interesting because only, you know, only one team can advance from a group. And, uh, you know, Ghana has been probably the best African country in the last two World Cups. Zambia is the defending Cup of Nations champion, and, you know, only one of them are going to advance. So it's going to be interesting to see what you know what it comes down to in that group but but what do you think about about what's happening in in uh african qualifying well like you said it's it's early in qualification uh but just looking through uh the tables for the various groups there's been a couple of shakeups. you know south africa's in third cameroon's in third uh the congo leads their group 
Yeah. So it's just, you know, there it's definitely caused some new new teams up top, some ones that usually are up top being a little less than. And it'll be interesting to see how it changes as qualifying goes on as you know, it always happens in qualification. And this is not even talking about the weird politics of Africa and uh, what soccer can be like there. Um, but we're yeah, going to have to move exactly. on. Exactly. It's like some, there's always one sort of quote unquote powerhouse team that has either, you know, the players don't get paid, so they quit, you know, which is reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, there's a revolution or some sort of, you know, civil unrest or something. I mean, there's always something that kind of throws us, you know, kind of a monkey wrench in the works and you never, I mean, that's why it's so hard to predict what's going to happen in Africa. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's uh, switch gears once again and move over to another ocean uh, over in Asia. Um, let's talk about Australia. Um, they're struggling, you know, fairly badly so far in qualifying. They're kind of in the middle of the pack in their group. Um, and they're also going through some transition uh, at this stage in, in um, you know, the cycle because a lot of their stars are, are making their way out of the national team. They're getting a little bit too old, and so they're moving on. Um, do you think they're questioning that move to uh, the Asian Confederation right about now? Well, there's two ways of looking at this. You know, in Oceania, they were always only going to be competing for one spot. Um, and New Zealand seems to be improving, so there's not even a guarantee they would have been in the playoff game that they have to play against uh, the fourth-place CONCACAF team. So Oceania is really not really even guaranteed one spot, um, and so from that point of view, it was a good thing that they moved to Asia because now there are four, possibly five spots that they can occupy one of them. Um, but from a travel perspective, uh, point of view, they haven't done well when going to the Middle East, which is part of the Asian Confederation. Uh, they've got, I believe it's Iraq next, and, you know, they're in a group with Japan and Jordan and Iraq, and they could finish fourth quite easily. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think in the long run, moving to Asia was a no-brainer. I mean, I think for their development and, and trying to become a you know, a, a a player, let's say, in, in global soccer. But I think I think you're right. I think they're actually in, in pretty big danger of not qualifying for the next World Cup. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the you know, they're they're in a transition period and, and they're kind of betting in new players who are getting used to um, you know, kind of the, the senior team and that sort of thing. So um yeah, I mean they're they're certainly not out of it by any means. It wouldn't be any surprise if they moved on, but I, I, I have a feeling that they might not make it this time. And it seems like Japan and South Korea have more or less booked their tickets at this point. I mean, they're they're firmly in control of each of their groups, mm -hmm. um, and and so it's you know that's basically two spots that look like they're pretty much sewn up at this point. So um, there's going to be quite a fight for the for the last couple spots, and it'll be interesting to see if if uh, Australia can can hang on. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with Jared Dublois. It'll be a lot of fun. Stick around.
Hello, and we are here with a special guest, Jared Dubois, from The Best Soccer Show, a U.S. Men's National Team podcast on NASN. Uh, did I get that all right? I think for the most part. I think we're a general American soccer uh, show, but uh, U.S. Men's National Team specific this week. Okay, okay. Um, well, we're going to go ahead and get you started on the questions, and I think, Alicia, you have the first one. I sure do. Um so as far as I'm concerned, it seems like Antigua and Barbuda shouldn't be too tough of an opponent for the U.S., but I'm wondering if you're worried at all about you know, a potential test from Guatemala, even if it is on U.S. soil. Um, to address the first part with Antigua and Barbuda, I think the nation, the size, and uh, with as much infrastructure as the U.S. should dominate a team like that. But uh, the thing is, uh, everyone knows that when it comes to playing a team on their home turf, uh, they'll be playing in front of a very passionate crowd, and this is the biggest game they're going to play for four years, most likely. So that kind of throws a lot of the preparation, a lot of the uh, the, the big kind of headlines about this team out the window. Because when you talk about that kind of passion and that kind of desire and playing on your home field, I think it, it some things kind of get equated. And you know that Antigua and Barbuda are going to play a very compact, um, bunkered-in style, and it's going to be tough for the U.S. to break them down. If they can keep their defense solid for the first 20, 30 minutes, that's really going to make things tough on the U.S. national team because that means they're gonna, you're going to give them the worst possible thing you can give them, and that's belief. If the U.S. can come out early, get a goal, make Barbuda come, Antigua and Barbuda come out of their shell – that could really open the games up and the U.S. could look to blow things out, which would be really important because goal differential is going to matter on a three and three teams are locked at seven points apiece. Now, the other part of the question with Guatemala, Guatemala does make me nervous because any time there's a team with someone like Carlos Ruiz on it, I get nervous. I don't know about you two. Carlos Ruiz makes me nervous just in general because he's the type of player that can, can come out of nowhere and make a difference. And not always just with scoring goals, but make a difference in terms of, uh, hey, that's a nice fall. Now our guy got a yellow card. Uh, hey, look, he made a nice dive right there. Now you got a free kick on the outside of the box. And if you remember back to the Guatemala game in Guatemala, the two goals came from free kick scenarios. So if when you see a player like Carlos Ruiz and his ability to draw fouls, that really kind of speaks to the game Guatemala wants to play. They're going to play a little bit more bunkered in, not like Antigua Barbuda, not quite that bad, but they're going to be bunkered in a bit. So you got to be able to be smart against a team like Guatemala. They do make me nervous, but once again, this team should take care of business. If Fabian Johnson's back, I think that's a huge thing for the U.S. national team. All right, well, with any international period, it's not just the opponents, but it's also the call-ups that create a lot of debate. Uh, four players so far have been ruled out, um, and there is the uh, Chris Wondolowski snub. Uh, talk about both who's not there, who is there, and how big of an effect is that going to have on the, the two matches coming up? Well, let's first take a look at the two the two decisions Jurgen Klinsmann made for himself. Uh, he decided not to bring Chris Wondolowski, Josie Altidore into this, and he chose to bring in Alan Gordon, Eddie Johnson. The two uh, the other two options weren't really his choice. Landon Donovan, they bring him in. If it turns out he's more hurt than maybe Donovan thought he was when he got on the plane, same thing with Breck Shea. He gave those guys a chance to be in the team. They kind of had to take themselves out of it because of injury risk. What I don't understand, and this is there's two different things I understand. Number one, when you talk about the Josie and, and Chris Wondolowski side of it, how do you just wholeheartedly look past the fact that, that you have the leading scores in two different leagues 
and uh, and and just look completely past it. I understand that Josie hasn't been everything that everyone wanted him to be. I still think that there's a service issue there. That Josie's not getting the service he should be getting. So you can't necessarily you're analyzing Josie in a vacuum if you just say, "Hey, he doesn't have goals, so he's not effective with the national team." Now with Chris Wondolowski, you can make some of those same some some of those same points because he hasn't scored much with the national team. But once again, you got to lurk at the service issue. I don't think I don't think you can play a Jermaine Jones, Marisa Du, Kyle Beckerman at the same time in the midfield and get good service to your strikers. Now, granted, this time around, Michael Bradley's available. I think that's going to loosen up the midfield a bit. I think that, you, that your inclusion is going to have to play a few different players in midfield. That's really going to help. Uh, in terms of the, the, the players that you brought to us to bring in, Alan Gordon, Eddie Johnson. I mean, for those of us that were around for LA Galaxy times, seeing Alan Gordon in the national team is just mind-boggling. I understand he's done great things with San Jose this year. I think that the one thing I will give the Alan Gordon call-up is that there's not another player in the U.S. pool that I would want to see coming into the game with five minutes left with the game to win. Can you think of a better one? Not really. I mean, because Edson battled two magic. years ago, it's but not... Simple. Yeah. Okay. He's he's magic. He's absolutely magic. That's just all there is to it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't see it. But somehow Alan Gordon is magic. And Jurgen Klinsmann's buying into it. I can't really buy I can't disagree with him that much. That being said, I think it's a toss up right now. Is it Eddie Johnson with Clinton Dempsey up top? Or is it going to be Hercules Gomez? You can make a case for either one right now. I kind of leaning towards Eddie Johnson myself just because I think you play the hot hand. Hercules Gomez has done great with the U.S. national team, but I think it's I think it's time to try something new. Okay. All right. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about MLS. Um, I was wondering who you would consider to be uh, MLS Defender of the Year this year. Ooh, man, that's tough because – man, that's really tough because I think – I think Omar Gonzalez is the best defender in the league right now, but I'm not sure if you can really prorate the season um, for the amount of time he's been he's actually been playing this year to actually give him the award. I think that was going to work against him greatly. So unfortunately, I don't think Omar Gonzalez is going to repeat at that award this year. Um, outside of that, I. I I think one of the, for my money, one of the best defenders year in year out is Hamison Olave. I think he's one of the the, the best that there is um, in terms of physical. Uh, he's got all the big physical tools. He's got the speed for a bit where uh, the, he's got a really surprising speed for the big man. I always remember back to the All Star game. I can't remember if it was one or two years ago when he tracked down uh, Wayne Rooney on a run. It was just amazing the physical speed uh, Hamison Olave has. I would probably lean towards Olave. Uh, <clears throat> There's been a there's been a few good guys, but I, I really think that Olave is my guy right now it, because I'm taking Omar Gonzalez out of the equation. A lot of people out there may say someone like a better shower or <clears throat> one of the guys up in San Jose. I think that's more of a team dynamic. I don't know this is necessarily one guy I'm going to point to on that lineup and say that that's the guy. I think I'm going to go with Hamilton Olave. All right, well we'll get you out of here on this San Jose. Kind of a lock to take the supporter shield at this point. Are they a lock for the MLS Cup, or do they have crash and burn written all over them? Uh, this is something my co-host Josh and I go back and forth on on the, our Galaxy podcast, Corner of the Galaxy, and he is adamant that they're going to crash and burn in the playoffs. But the, here's, the, my, here's my take on it. What evidence do you have that shows that this team is going to do that? It's completely arbitrary. If you think this team's going to crash and burn, you have nothing to substantiate that because the fact of the matter is, over 30-some games now, they have never crashed and burned. So to say that they're gonna, it's going to happen in the playoffs, you're pulling fuzzy math out of fit thin air. I don't see where it's coming from, that, that point of view. 
what I choose to look at is what has this team done? It's easy to look at a 30-game track record and say that San Jose Earthquakes are the most focused, passionate team in this league right now. They believe in themselves, and they believe in themselves for 90, if not 95, in some case, minutes. So I feel like that's the safest bet you can put out there right now. If you think that San Jose is going to wilter down the stretch, I'd be happy to hear. Please, someone tweet me, email me. Tell me what it's based on because I don't see it. I think they're the team to beat for MLS Cup, especially since the LA Galaxy has now lost to Real Salt Lake. And now it, the Galaxy would really have to do something over its final two games of against Seattle and San Jose to really change my mind back to L.A. I thought L.A. had the hot hand over the last month or so, and they were the team to beat. Seeing what, uh, what RSL did to them kind of deflates the LA Galaxy for me. I think San Jose is back on top. Yeah, I think it's just uh, wishful thinking at this point from a couple L.A. fans. But thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us tonight. Ladies, thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, we're back with what are the odds? Uh, currently, New Zealand leads the Oceania group right now. Uh, what are the odds that they qualify for the 2014 FIFA World Cup? Uh, I'm going to put it at about 20%. Um, so they're playing the CONCACAF fourth place team um, in, in the playoff if, if of course, if New Zealand advances um, out of their confederation. Um, obviously, we're not at that phase yet in uh, CONCACAF qualifying, but let's project, you know, they'd be playing like a, a Costa Rica, an El Salvador, a Panama, some, some team in that sort of caliber probably. Um, and I think it's going to be pretty tough for them, uh, you know, to beat one of those those Central American countries. I think it's most likely going to be a Central American country, and I think it's it's going to be a really hard um, uh, test for them to, to, to win in a home-and-away matchup. But what about you? What, what do you think the odds are? So this is going to tie into a later question, but I'm just going to go ahead and uh, pretend like I'm not going to repeat myself in four minutes. But I've concocted this crazy scenario where Canada takes the fourth spot and then it's New Zealand versus Canada for the possibility of making the World Cup and that is nuts and super cool and I have no idea who would win because well one the travel is insane uh, but then two I mean there's neither of those teams really has the history to kind of go on but they're both sort of improving uh, over the last few years uh, I think it'd be really interesting. So I'm gonna go with 60% with the victory over Canada. Wow, that's that's a bold prediction. That's a very bold prediction. Um, all right, let's uh, let's let's do this one. What are the odds that Colombia can actually put their potential together on this qualifying campaign and potentially the World Cup? I'm gonna go with 40%. Um, for some reason, I don't think it's quite as uh, likely as a coin flip, but you know they have been steadily showing improvement and improvement and improvement, and the thing they have going for them this year is that Brazil automatically qualifies, so that frees up a spot uh, right there, 
and you know why not Colombia? They're right in the mix, and they've got the talent to do it, and they don't have to worry about Brazil, and I think this could be the year. Yeah, I actually said 40% as well. Um, they've historically struggled to live up to expectations. They've always been an underperforming team, um, but it's like it's like the siren song. You know, you just can't help but be sucked in by them. Um, I think they have some stability with their coach right now. They have uh, Jose Peckerman, uh, who... Uh, previously coached uh, Argentina, uh, he's been doing you know pretty well with them. They have a world class striker in Falcao, and they have a lot of pieces around him to uh, you know I think do really well. Right now they're sitting in second place in uh, Commonwealth qualifying, so that's a really good spot to be in at this point. Um, they're still I think they're about halfway through the qualification uh, campaign in in South America, so there's a lot you know a long way to go. But I'm saying 40% because of the history. I really want them to, to succeed. I, I can't help but want to pull for them. But, um, it, you know, it, history has not been on their side so far. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But, you know, I'm just happy that we got through a Columbia topic and none of us mentioned cocaine. Yep. So anyway, um, what are the odds that Canada makes it out of Group 3? Uh, C. I'm going to say 65%. It's a little bit optimistic, but it uh, sounds like you're feeling pretty optimistic, too. So, um, relatively speaking for Canada, they're clicking right now. Um, you know, I think they have the best group that they've had in, in quite a while. Um, I think that they've been a little bit lucky in sort of the teams that they've been drawn against in the um, stages of qualification, but that's okay. That's not their problem. And, you know, they basically have two must-wins. And I think one's, you know, not a done deal, but I think Cuba's, you know, an opponent that they can definitely beat. And then it's going to come down to that last game. And, and if they're going to get the, you know, get the win, I think, against Honduras, um, which is a very tough opponent. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to feel optimistic. I'm, I'm, put, I'm pulling for Canada as well. I'm going to go with 65%. I'm going for 75%. I am on Team Canada. I love maple syrup and I love moose. Um, you know, I just there's something about the Canadian national team that you kind of want them. You know, they've been sort of this dormant for a long time, the doormat for a long time, but they you know, they've, they've still been around. They've still been participating. And, you know, now they're in ML, they have all these MLS clubs and the quality of players is improving and they're getting that top level experience. And I just really want this to be Canada's breakthrough year. Um, and I guess I've already mentioned my crazy Canada finishes fourth and faces New Zealand and it's two British colonies and the Queen is happy. And I just think this is the kind of moment that, that soccer really needs it just needs this moment that's that would be so heartwarming you're right i'd <laughs> love for that to happen i would um all right so our final odds uh odds question for the day uh what are the odds ireland defeats germany in their matchup so I'm, I'm glad we finally have something to be negative about because we've been way too positive on these odds so far uh, i'm gonna go with two percent um they're you know, anything can happen once the ball is kicked, but realistically, 
Um, even before Robbie Keane was ruled ineligible, this was like a super long shot. And we all saw how Ireland did at the Euros. They were embarrassed. They had no plan. Their plan was basically, we'll def try and defend and then see what happens, but then they couldn't defend, so it was just completely useless. Um, but, but without Robbie Keane, there's just no way. Uh, the Germans are way too strong. Uh, and it's unfortunate because the Irish did get that one win against Kazakhstan, and so there was some, some optimism that maybe they could be competing with Sweden. Um, and they're probably still in the mix, but they're not, they're not winning this one. Yeah, I went with 4%, but the logic's about the same. Um, I mean, Germany is so clinical when it comes to qualifying. They're the anti-Portugal, you know, like they just cruise. And their problem has been that they, they're they so convincing and so dominant in qualifying that when they get to a major tournament, you know, they're expected to completely run the table. And as we saw in the Euros, you know, they weren't quite up for the, you know, for the biggest challenges. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really can't see any – realistic scenario in which uh ireland not only you know not even hold them to a draw but wins i mean that just that seems uh pretty implausible at this point and germany is obviously a very talented team so it's going to be a, a long shot as far as i'm concerned and don't worry irish fans uh you got the faroe islands next and you're going to beat the faroe islands so it'll all uh even out in the wash uh, but we'll go out on a pop culture question, a um, little bit new on the podcast, but we're trying to mix it up. Uh, Alicia, what's your favorite new show of the TV season? Uh, I don't watch TV. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I watch lots of TV. Uh, I'm going to say Ben and Kate. It's a uh, sitcom on Fox. It's like a brother and sister, grown-up brother and sister, trying to help raise the sister's uh, child. She's a single mom. But it's hilarious. It's really hilarious. I, I totally recommend it if you're into kooky sitcoms. What about you? Uh, so it's a bit of a cheat because uh, it's not a new series uh, technically, but it is new to the U.S. Uh, Save the Midwife on PBS Sunday nights. Uh, it's this great series about these midwives in 1950s East London. Um, it's funny. It's touching. It's it's some good stuff, uh, but that's all the time we have for tonight. Uh, you can always find me at Rock, the letter N, and Josie and Alicia. Where can we find you? At Soccer Musings. All right. Once again, thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>